3: Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com.
4: Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Allison Latternick, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com.
5: And this is Robert Lamb, science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. Tell me something, Allison. Do your kids play with sea monsters in the bathtub, with the swimming pool?
4: Um, not so much yet yeah uh they got a couple of fish that squirt out water which are pretty exciting a frog it's getting a little moldy to be honest nothing nothing as exciting as prehistoric monsters of the deep though Ah, uh, yes what about you when you hit the bathtub oh, you- <laughs> in, the,
5: in the rare happenstance that I take a uh, bath instead of a shower I tend to only have like uh, like a like an orange soda or an orange lacroix with me so, <laughs> so I'm kind of out of the plastic sea monster phase but when I was a kid I I, I mean I still love giant sea monsters, but as a, when I was a kid, I was really into them. And I had this book, which I actually brought in today, and we have in the, the, the podcasting chamber with us. Um, and it was uh, titled, uh, The Macmillan Illustrated Encyclopedia of Dinosaurs and Prehistoric Animals. Yeah. And it's fabulous because it's like every other page is a, is like a, a double truck spread of, uh, of these awesome, uh, prehistoric, uh, monster, um, illustrations.
4: I had a lot of fun going through it definitely when we were picking out the animals that we wanted to feature. Yeah.
5: Cuz it's dinosaurs and then later on it gets into I mean, prehistoric mammals that are awesome, you know, cuz it's like giant horses and and you know killer sloths and things like that. And then there's a whole section with with this, with the sea creatures, the sea monsters, if you will. And and they're amazing. I mean the the illustrations uh they had several different illustrators, but uh, a guy by the name of uh, Colin Newman did The Fish and Amphibians.
4: Yeah, and all the animals seem to have a slightly different personality, Yeah, as you pointed out.
5: Yeah, it's like they, uh, and don't get me wrong, they're, they look very scientific. There's nothing cartoony about them. But there's something about the way they're drawn, yeah, where they have kind of, they seem to have their own little personalities.
4: Right, the Shonasaurus, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Kind of seems like it's almost smiling. It seems merry. It seems like a merry marine Like
5: a merry fat dolphin. (laughs) Yeah. Like I kind of expect he kind of looks like he should be like dressed up like a like a nineteen twenties billionaire, you know, kind of a monopoly man, like going like floating down the street in a like an underwater New York.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So before we get to some of uh, the ancient rulers of the ocean that we want to talk about today, who who's ruling the oceans today? Who who are the big marine?
5: Uh, who, are the, who are the the rulers today? Well, um, as uh, as anybody who's ever watched Shark Week can tell you, uh, the great white is pretty awesome.
4: Great white is pretty yeah. awesome.
5: And and how bigs great white get?
4: Great whites can get about between twenty feet and twenty five feet.
5: Yeah, it's pretty sizable. They look pretty fierce, and they can definitely uh, chomp down on. Pretty much anything that gets in their path.
4: Yeah. Well, I was wondering when we were talking about great whites. Um, I mean, great whites have been around for a long time, so I really wanted to check on that. And they've been around as long as uh, 18 million years ago to 12 million years ago. And then if you look at the great white's ancestors, they mm-hmm. might go back as far as 50 million years ago. Okay. So it's not quite, a, but th- still, that's not quite as old as some of the characters. Yeah, we're, we're going talk back about
5: like. Double that for uh, for the the guys we're looking at. Uh, and of course, the other, as far as we're talking about sea monsters and and just giant underwater creatures, because obviously creatures in the sea can be larger than the creatures on on uh, the surface because of uh, you know they're suspended in water, et cetera. And so today we actually have the largest species, uh, as far as we know, that has ever uh, existed, and that is the blue whale. Yes. And what are the measurements on the blue whale? It's pretty astounding. So.
4: Um, 70 to 80 feet in length, although they have one recorded at 106 feet. So that's pretty crazy. If you assume, I don't know, 10 feet to a, a building story, so that would be equivalent to a, a 10-foot building. Wow. Or, I'm sorry, a, a 10-story building.
5: Well, yeah. <laughs> a 10-foot building, building that would be kind of silly. See, I, knew, I knew what you were getting at.
4: Yeah, and they're and they obviously weigh a ton too, as much as 150 tons. And uh the females of course are larger than the males, which is nice to hear sometimes.
5: Cool. Now, one of the distant uh, relatives um of of modern sharks was the uh the megalodon, aka or,
4: big tooth. Yeah.
5: And and this one is a is a a favorite I know of a lot of people out there because uh, there's actually a whole series of books um the Meg books um
4: I've not heard of those
5: yeah it's uh, and, uh forgive me i can't remember the author's name offhand but there's a there's a series of them and are um it's actually i've never read read one uh so the fans will have to correct me if i'm wrong on this but there's um it has to do with like there being like a deep area of the ocean mm-hmm. that's still warm, but it's cut off from the rest of the ocean by like a really like chilly layer.
4: Okay. So species evolving in isolation. Yeah. So they have like,
5: yeah, isolation and they're all like running wild in there. And then scientists, you know, end up accidentally freeing them and they run rampage, jaws like all over the ocean. Wait, was this the
4: Michael Crichton novel or no?
5: No, no. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's some of the, it's another dude. Um, and they almost made a movie out of it or something, but, but it's one, it's, it's one of these where I think it involves like, it, each book ends up involving shark, giant sharks battling other prehistoric creatures. And it's part of this, I don't know, there seems to be this whole like subset of fandom on, uh, on the Internet where people are really into um, prehistoric sea monsters and imagining what their battles, like their Godzilla-esque battles, would, would consist of, you know, uh, which is pretty cool. What
4: was that MTV show where they used to have the, um, the different celebrities battling it out in the, in the ring? Uh, so cer- celebrity cer- deathmatch, right. right. So deathmatch, except with,
5: yeah, except with uh, with prehistoric Pre- monsters,
4: right, right. So let's talk about some of the the characters we're going to get around today,
5: yeah. we're we're dealing with uh, with some legitimate prehistoric uh, monsters here. We're, we're We're shying away from the the prehistoric sharks and getting into uh, what a lot of people would, would probably say, like dinosaurs of the deep,
4: yeah. let's kick it off with the Shonosaurus. So yeah. as we were just talking about, Let's imagine diving into the waters about 248 million years ago. And, yeah. uh, let's going let's, way back.
5: This is the Triassic period, I believe.
4: Yeah. So let's imagine that we're uh, going to dive into what is now present-day Nevada, except then it was uh, covered in water. And you might have encountered this gigantic marine reptile. But to my eyes, like I said before, it looks like this sort of massive pot-bellied dolphin with a slightly (laughs) sharper beak, as opposed to the more rounded ones you might see on a bottlenose dolphin today. But that sharper beak only had teeth at the front, which I didn't find particularly scary. So I'm I'm not sure I'm going to qualify this as a legitimate monster, per se.
5: Well, still, I don't know, teeth only at the front? That's kind of creepy. If you were (laughs) to smile at you, that would be...
4: It just reminds me of somebody having buck teeth, you know, (laughs) it's like... So back in 1928, um, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Seaman Muller discovered the fossilized remains of um, what we now know as the Shonosaurus popularis. And Muller discovered... That's why he's
5: so, uh, like, proud-looking. He's just, he's a popular dude, right? Is that what that means in Latin?
4: I uh, Popular? <laughs> uh, a popular Shonosaurus, I yeah. think, is what they're getting at. But sure. So Muller discovered them in this uh, area of Berlin, or what is now Berlin Ichthyosaurus State Park. Hmm. But the serious digging didn't start until the 1950s with two guys, Dr. Charles Camp and Dr. Samuel Wells from Berkeley, which does a lot with dinosaurs. And these two gentlemen unearthed about 40 ichthyosaurs, uh, discovered in different locations throughout the park. And of course, in 1989, the Shonosaurus popularis achieved its place and fame. It became the Nevada State Fossil. Oh, awesome. Good for them.
5: I have to admit, I didn't know that we had state fossils. I didn't
4: either. I also learned recently that we have state insects.
5: Well, I think I knew that, but but state fossils is new. I wonder what George's is. I don't know. I don't know.
4: So the belonged to the order Ichthyosauria, which means a fish lizard. Okay. So if you were to look at it, um, it had four paddles, kind of like the flippers that you see on dolphins today. Mm -hmm. And it had a fish-like tail that barreled it through the water. How big is big? Like 49 feet, roughly 15 meters, according to some measurements.
5: And that's about double the length of the larger Great Whites. Yep. Put that in perspective.
4: And so that was for one particular species, the Popularis. And then they unearthed another species um, called the, I believe, the Sikeneensis. And that might have been even bigger. So the Shinosaurus breathed air just like dolphins do. But the Shonosaurus didn't lug its massive body to shore to lay eggs. Instead, it gave birth to live young at sea, like huh. its fellow ichthyosaurs. So this is pretty cool. I was reading, um, that scientists unearthed the fossil of an adult female Ichthyosaur giving birth.
5: Oh, How wow. cool is that? That's, that's pretty the cool. That the fossil
4: record was able to capture that. That's, I think that's just amazing.
5: Yeah. I mean, it's one thing if you can get one just sort of standing there. But if, when you, when you, when you get like fossil, uh, finds that involve, yeah, birth or, 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 you know, eggs or, or like occasionally it'll be like two dinosaurs duking it out, you know? Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. So taken together, you kind of wonder why, uh, the ichthyosaurus, of which the Shonosaurus was one, uh, died out because there are some pretty highly successful animals and they occupied, uh, according to scientists, um, the ecological niche of today's dolphins. Okay. And so they're around for about 100 million years. So I would definitely say that's a, that's a good run. Yeah. So that's the Shonosaurus for you. Okay. I hope you guys have a good picture. And if you don't have a good picture of the Shonosaurus, look it up because he's, he's worth a gander. Yeah. We'll have to put some pictures up on our uh, Facebook page.
5: Yeah, there, there are a lot of uh, pictures out there. So surely we can find a few we can uh, link to.
4: So let's move over to a different order, the Plesiosauria order.
5: Yeah. And this is where, uh, I mean, the other guys were great, but the, the Plesiosaurus are, are where it really gets awesome. Um, and the, the one I'm going to mention here is the Leopluridon. Alright. And, uh, this guy looks, this is when they, they really start looking fearsome. This doesn't look like a fat dolphin. Uh, let's turn the page there so I can actually gaze upon him again. Yeah. He, I mean, this looks like something that would battle like Godzilla. Um, <laughs> like he's very, very streamlined looking. Um, looks kind of, if you've seen like a whale skeleton, you know, like the, the actual ske- uh, skull isn't uh, big and bulbous, you know. Uh, that's kind of like the, the overall shape. Going on with the uh, uh, with the so it's very streamlined looking. has a and has this like very sort of cruel looking head, big thick football player neck, um, streamlined body, and these massive uh, flippers. And so uh, paleontologists believe he was um, probably extremely maneuverable uh, in in the water and could uh, move at different depths uh, pretty easily, and was uh, probably an excellent long distance swimmer.
4: Okay,
5: and uh, where. Uh, I've, I've actually seen some like, uh, some, some computer animated kind of videos where they show this guy and, uh, one of his relatives, uh, like just sort of like popping out of nowhere and like biting the head off of another uh, underwater creature, which is cool. And I imagine that's what the end game of this, uh, was like. But, uh, but I really dig the idea of, of him being like one of these long pursuit, uh, killers. You know, where he's like he's chasing after him and he's just going to wear you down over time. Which, uh, which is actually kind of like early human hunters. I mean, in the sense that uh, early human hunters did, like a long pursuit of a of of an animal, and then eventually wore it out.
4: Right. Well, another possibility is that he could be engaged in those long swims to find a mate. Right. Yeah,
5: that's true. Yeah, they were these were probably guys that covered a lot of territory. Um, another part of that big, cruel-looking head he's got is uh, he had some powerful muscles uh, to drive the teeth into the prey. Um,
4: what was its prey?
5: Uh, pretty much anything it wanted, because <laughs> this was a this is a top predator. Um,
4: and those are pretty rare, right?
5: hmm Yeah. I mean, oh. when you
4: think about the structure of the food chain, you got a, a couple of folks sitting on top or animal species sitting on top, and then a whole mass uh, accumulating on the bottom.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I've seen, I like the explanation of it as a, as a pyramid, you know? And at the bottom of the pyramid you have is it, the thickest, and that's where you have all the plant life. And then as you move up the pyramid, you have uh, the, the herbivores, the uh, omnivores, and then the carnivores. So the guy sitting at the top is just like you know, like one the
4: animal, the other animal. Well, yeah,
5: yeah. Guy or animal. Well, you know, I'm using guy in a very general sense. The, true, yeah. the, uh, the animal sitting at the very top of the pyramid on this, which I like to imagine being like on a throne of bones, you know, <laughs> like he pretty much runs the show. But that whole pyramid supports him. So there's uh so that's that's actually one of the interesting things when we get into looking at uh, the fossil records mm-hmm. and these like super predators and these these top predators is that uh there weren't that many of these guys out there com- compared to the rest of the biomass that was uh ruling the earth in those days. So uh so we have we often have a lot less to go on. Um I should also mention the the uh, uh this was a late Jurassic uh creature so about 213 million years ago.
4: Where have you found some of these guys?
5: Um, they have shown up in uh, the uh, in uh, eastern England and northern France, uh, you know, dating back a, again about 160 million years or so. And uh, uh, oh, and, and this was pretty interesting too. Apparently, there has been some uh, um, some misinformation about their size. Okay. Um, generally, we're looking at about 39 feet in length. But, uh, there've been a, there's been a, like a documentary or two that have, uh, have exaggerated it to 82 feet. Oh my. Yeah, which is quite, quite an exaggeration. And, um, uh, and I was reading up on this and, and uh, some of the reasons get pretty interesting. There's, uh, probably the internet's biggest, um, uh, Plesiosaur fan is, mm-hmm. uh, this guy named, uh, Richard Forrest and he runs Plesiosaur Site which is, uh, like, just do a search for Plesiosaur site, and you'll find it. And uh, and he has a whole section where he talks about, like, some of these size controversies. And uh, he says it comes down to, like, two different things. On, on one hand, again, you don't have a lot of fossil record for these big killers. Uh, so you kind of have to throw in some estimation, you know. Like a lot of times, you're estimating their size anyway, based on like their jaw mm-hmm. uh, size, extrapolating from yeah. there. Sure. And then, then also, you might you're, you're thinking like, all right, I have X number of skeletons of this guy, but this is this is not, you know, the the one that I have here is probably not the biggest. So we can probably estimate that they get maybe 20% bigger. So then, you, so you end up saying, hey, the species can get to this length. And then, uh, then also, uh, he said that if you're if you have you're trying to get funding for your study. Then apparently size matters, so you want to stress the, the size of your creature, you know? Um, and, uh, and then finally, he referred to something, uh, and I love this, uh, a process called Godzilla, God, he said godzilla which sounds like you would want to say Godzillification, but, yeah. uh, at any rate, uh, this has to do with the, the media picks up on one of these stories, mm-hmm. and the, the, uh, dinosaur, like The Predator X. Yeah, like the Predator X, which we'll, we'll get into. Yeah, he just gets more ferocious with each media, you know, it's like, like, Science Daily gets it. He's pretty tough. Then New Scientist gets it He's t- even tougher, you know, and it like trickles down to finally people on the blogs are just like going nuts about th- th- how crazy this dinosaur is or plesiosaur is. Um, so anyway, I found that really interesting.
4: Well, to his point, to, to Forrest's point, I will say that when I, when I, we were picking out the animals for this prehistoric podcast, I was checking out animals based on definitely appearance, but mm-hmm. also size. Yeah. I mean, the big ones, you're, you're curious. You know, they kind of blow you away, um, just off the bat. And then when you start getting into the different species, you know, of course they all have their own really unique adaptations that are fascinating in their own right. But off the bat, if something is 42 feet, definitely. Yeah. That definitely. I thought, yeah, this, this should go on the podcast, you know?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I, uh, I tended to go first on just how ferocious and mean looking they were and then, and then look and see how big they were, but it's, it's kind of—I like, guess—they went through a similar thing with, like, with actual, like, land dinosaurs. You know, for the longest, everybody loved the T Rex, and that was, you know, it's whatever was biggest, whatever was baddest, and then kind of people got more into, like, oh, Velociraptors, which we've, of course, we did a whole podcast on that. Right, and now yeah.
4: Velociraptors have their very own awareness day. Yeah, take that T Rex.
5: So I wonder if with, like, if with the uh, with the. Um, the prehistoric sea creatures. It's kind of like we're having the same process, but it's like a few years behind. Mm -hmm. So everybody's still up in arms about the big ones. It's kind of like 1980s, like pro wrestling when everything has to be giant (laughs) steroid guys, you know? So it's like we're still in like, oh, my God, it's so big. It's like, let's look at how big this dinosaur is. It's like 50 feet. No, it's 80 feet. But maybe in like five years or so, we'll be really into the smaller predators of the in the fossil record.
4: Well, before we get into the smaller ones, I want to tell you guys about the Kronosaurus. And you guys might have heard about this one. This is another plesiosaur, and he was occurring in the early Cretaceous. So if you don't know when the early Cretaceous period was, that's about 144 million years ago for this particular guy, Mm -hmm. this particular
5: chronosaurus. So we're creeping up closer and closer uh, to the more modern uh, sea life.
4: Right. And this was another marine reptile who's capable uh, of reaching astounding lengths. This one clocked in at lengths of 42 feet. So take Uh a moment and think about that. We can just throw these numbers around all day, but 42 feet, again, that's, that's impressive. Imagine yeah. swimming at your local, um, beach and encountering a 42 foot organ, <laughs> organism. Yeah. It, that's, that's pretty astounding. So the Chronosaurus has been found, um, or fossils of the Chronosaurus have been found in Australia, mainly. It's the biggest known plesiosaur. It had a flat-topped head. And if you think of a crocodile head, that's mm-hmm. what, that's what, to me, it kind of looks like. It's reminiscent of a crocodile head. But it had those four flippers, and it had this body that tapered off into a point. It wasn't a tail exactly; it didn't have a lobed fin or anything like that, but just kind of tapered off. It was an excellent swimmer, like the uh, liopleuridon that Robert just mentioned. That is a really tough word to say. It Let's is. just say, it like its fellow plecias. I have it like
5: spelled out phonetically in front of me, and I still keep tripping over it.
4: So, it had to leave the water to lay eggs. And this was really one of its only vulnerable times. It had this big head, strong teeth, and jaws made it, you know, very formidable. And it's
5: a really big head. Like, it it looks, in the the illustration, it looks oversized. Like, it looks a little ridiculous.
4: Right. So, we're sitting in this room that's maybe, I don't know, 10 feet by 7 feet. Mm -hmm. And the plesiosaur head, the Kronosaurus head, I think would just dominate this space. The the head alone. Yeah. It's pretty insane. But if you're really interested in them, I highly recommend you go to the Chronosaurus Corner. And oh, uh that's yes. a site that you forwarded to me. And what that is, is um the site for a museum. And uh it's a museum in Australia, specifically the town of Richmond in Queensland. And uh Chronosaurus Corner is part of Australia's Dinosaur Trail. Did you know that Australia had a dinosaur trail?
5: I, I knew they were—they had some really cool fossils, but I didn't know that they had a dinosaur trail.
4: Right. So apparently they have established a, a route which you can go on and check out all the cool finds. And um, I was looking at the Chronosaurus site, mm-hmm. and they have all these pictures of the different fossils that people have found. So apparently they might still be letting you dig and and find stuff. I mean, you could come up with a, a chronosaurus vertebrae or something, which oh, I wow. thought was really cool.
5: And they have a, a – based on the pictures, they have like a giant like fake uh, chronosaurus out front <laughs> of the museum that you can – I don't know if you're allowed to climb on it. It looked like some of the photos people had climbed on it, but don't go climbing on it and blame us. But it looked really cool. Get your picture made with it for sure.
4: Yeah. If we have any Australian listeners who's, who've been to this particular corner of the world, please send us pictures. We would love to see them. We'll post them on Facebook.
5: Yeah. And Chronosaurus Corner, by the way, that's a corner with a K. Cause it's, you know, for branding purposes.
4: Yeah. Chronosaurus is with a K, corner. Yeah. KK. I don't know. Yeah. Those Australians are always thinking. Yeah. So what about the Elasmosaurus?
5: Oh, the Elasmosaurus. I love the way
4: this guy looks.
5: Yeah. This one's really cool. This is, um, I guess the best way to describe it is, and I don't, I really don't want to take this in a Loch Ness Monster direction, but you know how the Loch Ness Monster is basically supposed to look kind of like that, except with a much longer neck. And if I were to uh, take a quote from 19th century English paleontologist Dean uh, Conneberry, he said that these, uh, that the Elasmosaurus has resembled, quote, snakes threaded through the bodies of turtles. <sighs> so, yeah, these dudes have really long necks. How long? Um, they contain 28 vertebrae, uh, and more than half of the animal's total length was neck. Like 26 feet was neck and the thing's only 46 feet long.
4: Right. So if I'm whatever I am, five foot something, mm-hmm. let's round it off to five foot four. That would mean that I had a, you know, more than a two and a half foot neck,
5: <laughs> which <laughs> is ridiculous. kind of
4: hilarious. That would be tough with the podcast microphones,
5: but it could, it could come in interesting as we'll see how, um, yeah, how days. could
4: that benefit benefit me?
5: Well, uh, they think that um, well, obviously it would come into play um, hunting. Okay, uh, that, that's the, the 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 big deal. Obviously, if you're any kind of dinosaur or or or, um, uh, or a plesiosaur, and um, they they think it, it went one of two ways. One way would be that basically his head can get it get there before his body can, right? So his body's kinda hanging back here and so he can sort of creep his uh his head up to you before your uh the waters are disturbed by his body. Okay. It's which sounds kinda cartoony, you know it's Yeah like... he can kinda
4: you know sneak his head around a corner mm-hmm. and then if he sees something good, the body comes running fast. It reminds me of the Scooby Doo cartoons, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Where the legs are going so fast and they make that noise. You know yeah. the Scooby noise.
5: Yeah, yeah. It also reminds me of like um like Inspector Gadget and um, the Elastic Man from Fantastic Four yeah. you know how yeah, the, their head would come around a corner on like a super long neck and you know that's that's basically the the, the advantage this guy would have another uh possibility uh feeding wise uh, and this is one that we can back up with modern examples in the animal kingdom um involves uh, the the uh the elastomosaurus just uh, sort of you know floating a- along the top of the water with his head all the way up Right. Looking down above water. Yeah. Above water. So uh, like the
4: periscope of a, of a subway um, kind of thing.
5: No, no. I think it would be more like, like the crow's nest on a, like a ship. Okay. Except if, if you were like up in the crow's nest, looking down and seeing what kind of fish are down in the water. I see. So he's, he's got his head all the way up and he's looking down uh, and seeing what's going on in the water. And then when he sees a fish he wants to eat, you know, he just strikes down into the water with his head, long neck, grabs hold of it and has his lunch and there is a there's actually a bird that has a similar uh practice today and it is called
4: Snake bird, right
5: yeah and uh, an, an a, anhinga uh and i looked up a picture of this guy and you definitely get a real prehistoric vibe off of him uh, that's um if you want to do a, a a google image search it's a n h i n g a and uh it's got this creepy long neck and he just kind of sits you know up in the water uh you know kind of swan like ready to strike and uh, yeah, it's really cool. So that that's that's one way they think he, uh, this guy would have eaten. Um. So so that's the uh, Alasmasaurus in a nutshell. But I found like one other like really cool um, fact about uh about this particular um, prehistoric uh, sea monster, and it actually takes place in the Old West.
4: Oh, give yeah. it to me. Which got
5: all right? So um, and and I was not familiar with this. This may actually merit a whole podcast at some point. But uh, there was a period during the Old West uh, known as the Bone Wars or the Great Dinosaur Rush. And uh, this just comes to – We should
4: do a whole Rush series podcast because I also want to do one on the Uranium Rush of the 1950s. Oh,
5: cool. Yeah. Yeah,
4: yeah if you guys have fresh ideas for podcasts besides gold <laughs> rushes. Yeah, or maybe we could do some interesting twists on gold rush. Besides, also Sarah and Katie will will have that for stuff yeah. you in history class. But tell me about the Bone okay. Wars. So this one
5: is, you know, guys, you know, the gold rush was, of course, was you know, people rushing out into the the wilderness because there's gold out there and we got to have it. This is more instead of like grizzled old prospectors. This is like Yale-educated um, uh, paleontologists rushing out into the American West to try and find fossils.
4: Heck yeah, yeah,
5: and to get the prestige and honor of you know of discovering these things. So uh, um, you have two guys in particular though. Um, one name, um, uh, one name Marsh, and one name Cope. Okay. Edward uh, Drinker Cope, and these guys like were friends at one point, but then just this totally had a falling out uh, over competition for these fossils and 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 so they they started feuding with each other and when i say feuding i mean they were resorting to bribery, uh theft, destruction of bones, um they were attacking each other in the scientific publications, trying to ruin each other's credibility and sabotage their funding. I mean, th- these guys were getting really nasty about the uh, about, about bones. And, uh, so, so also they're, you know, rushing to, to get things done, right? So what
4: happened when they went to Kansas? They went to
5: Kansas and, uh, and Cope found an Elasmosaurus, um, uh, fossil. And so he starts, like, putting the, you know, putting together the pieces and trying to figure out what the overall, you know, um, body of the animal looked like. And in, in his, uh, haste, he managed to put the head on the wrong end. <sighs> uh, on the tape. So he ended up with the head on the tail. That's unfortunate. And then he, he sent this off, you know, it's, go- it goes to publish. And, and when he finds out what he did, he starts buying back the copies at his own expense, uh, so that nobody will see this horrible illustration that he presented. Marsh, his enemy, uh, uh-uh. meanwhile takes just rich delight in this and just starts like like hammering him even more. Even though Marsh uh, later on made a similar mistake with the brontosaurus skeleton, so uh, it, I don't know. It, it sounds amazing, and there's actually a uh, a graphic novel account of this uh, titled. Uh, Bone Sharps, Cowboys, and Thunder Lizards, a tale of Edward Drinkard Cope, uh, Nathaniel Charles Marsh, in the Gilded Age of Paleontology. Uh, it looks really cool. Uh, check that out.
4: And that's by a guy named Jim Ottaviani.
5: Yeah. I believe. Yeah, there's a whole, uh, there's a whole comic book, um, publisher, uh, publishing house out there, and they just do awesome comic books about scientists. So
4: yeah but we'll, we'll have to put a link to that yeah, on your definitely. Facebook page so what about some I mean we don't have to go all the way back to uh, the bone wars to figure out some <laughs> modern day controversy around uh, fossil finds what about predator x
5: uh yeah Predator x is the big one just uh just came out last year in uh, two thousand and nine out of uh, uh I believe the um a Norwegian expedition yeah up around uh, uh, Svalbard, actually
4: uh, oh, right mm-hmm.
5: and uh, uh this was a uh, um Uh, you know, studied by Oslo's, uh, Natural History Museum and, uh, and they found these, uh, these fossils and it looks to be a 49 foot, uh, plesiosaur, uh, very similar. Which
4: they dubbed Predator X. Yeah,
5: dubbed Predator X. Predator X is not the official title. (laughs) In fact, it has no, like, official species, uh, you know, name as of yet, no official classification. I guess they're still working on that. But, but a
4: lot of people are thinking that it's a plesiosaur, like the Kronosaurus. Yeah,
5: yeah, it looks very similar to the Kronosaurus and the Leporodon. Um, I rushed through it, to the pronunciation there because it didn't have the, the word in front of me. But uh, but yeah, a lot of people think it's one of those two. Uh, or not one of those two, but very similar, you know, except bigger. Um, how big? Uh, they're saying that this uh, this guy would have weighed around 50 tons um, with a foot-long teeth. And, uh, and yeah, it would be 49 feet long.
4: Um, and the, it's, it's head makes the T-Rexes look like a, you know, a bobblehead.
5: Yeah. And we keep picking on T-Rex. I feel kind I of bad. You know, Because the uh, T-Rex, he's a land-based animal. It's like if you put him in the water and he evolved, yeah, I'm sure he would have been bigger. That's true. Yeah.
4: We'll lay off the T-Rex.
5: So, uh, so the jury's uh, still kind of, still kind of out on, uh, on Predator X, exactly what it was and, and, uh, you know, what it was up to. But clearly it was a, some sort of massive uh you know probably a plesiosaur and was you know at the top of its food chain so it's pretty pretty awesome looking so there you have it um we've run through four really cool prehistoric uh sea monsters and uh uh there's some of our favorites you guys may have some favorites out there Phil- We'd love to hear them yeah let us know um and do let us know which one you think would win in a uh, slugfest <laughs> between, uh, between various uh sea monsters of the deep
4: Yeah, you can always send us an email at sciencestuff at dot com, or check in with us on Facebook at Stuff from the Science Lab or on Twitter at labstuff. Okay, so what you got over there? You got some listener mail you want to share? I got
5: some listener mail. Uh, We recently did a uh, really cool podcast on uh, the Kardashev scale.
4: Yeah, yeah, we did. And
5: this, to remind everybody, this is the uh, the scale, you know, type 1 civilization, type 2, and it has to do with energy usage of a planet and how you would, um, like, the, the different levels of technological sophistication for a civilization. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it shows up in science fiction a lot. Um, so we put the call out to the listeners, hey, uh, what's a good example of a, you know, a type four civilization? Kardashev only covers type one, two, and three. That's planetary, solar, and, um, and uh, galactic energy. So four would be something beyond those three. So, a uh, so couple not-
4: of you guys wrote in with ideas.
5: Yeah, yeah. So let's see. We had uh, we heard from Marcus, and uh, Marcus. Uh- pointed out an example in the Star Ocean RPG video game franchise. He says, quote, it involves people who are in a type 2 civilization, but in the game they have only just recently achieved type 2, and once they do, they right away discover intelligent life. The other civilization had always known about them, but rules had been made uh, that t- type 2 should not interfere with the natural development of underdeveloped uh, civilizations. So it deals, uh, you know, to a large extent with uh, with Kardashev um, classifications. Uh, then we heard from Mo. And most, uh, says, quote, it seems to me that, that you could make another universe, that if you could make another universe, you would somehow tether it, tether to it and find some way of using that tether to generate power. If you needed more power, you would just have to either wait a bit or build more universes. What you don't, uh, solve your, if you don't solve your energy problems, uh, uh, you know, one way to do it is to build another universe. So, uh, th- and this is getting into, again, this is like crazy advanced, uh, you know, theoretical uh you know science and but I
4: love how we just throw it out there. Yeah, yeah. let's just build another universe and yeah, well, harness I, the power from that. Yeah,
5: apparently they went into it in a uh, there's a, a recent uh, like radio lab uh, episode where it's like to uh, uh Robert krulich is talking to somebody about uh do it, do it yourself universes and what that would entail. And certainly if you could create another universe to generate power, that would you would be at least type 4. Maybe I don't know, maybe type 5 if to, to, to get, you know, real silly about it. Um, then we heard from Gary, and Gary said, in Frederick uh, Pohl's uh, Heechee novels, um, I hope I'm saying that right because it sounds kind of silly. Uh, <laughs> uh, there is a race called the Foe who were uh, type four. They were uh, actively trying to collapse our universe into a big crunch in, a tip, in an attempt to re-engineer the universe when it big banged again into an all-energy, no-matter universe because it would be better for their form of life. I'd say engineering an entire universe from the start is type four. And then he also uh, uh, pointed out that there's some examples in the Stargate universe. But uh, the stuff in Frederick Pohl's book, uh, that that's definitely uh, type four. and That sounds pretty awesome. I really need to read uh, some of his stuff.
4: All right. So that's cool. We covered Kardashev Scales, Monsters of the Deep. And uh, if you want to read more about any of those things, check out our homepage at HowStuffWorks.com. And thanks for listening.
3: parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Xfinity has free premium networks
1: for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah!